Welcome to the podcast. This is Your Daily Drive, and I am Rick Thomas, and I want to talk about your thought life today. Our thought life is it's a big deal because our thoughts are always thinking. Our thoughts are never thinking, never not thinking, and, well, because of that, our thoughts can run us into some bad places, and it is imperative that every Christian, that, that we are able to capture our thoughts, and that's not easy for some Christians to do for all sorts of reasons. And so this podcast is to help you, and I hope it will help me as well to be able to think rightly about life, to be able to capture my thoughts, and to be able to stay focused on the right things. If you want to share this podcast with someone, I would really appreciate it if you would do that. There is a 2,000-word article that I am going to share with you, and you can uh, let others be privy to that as well, and that would be fantastic. The title of the podcast and the title of the article is Three Mind Maps on How to Change Your Thought Life. That means there's three mind maps here. A mind map is it's like a mental visual map. It's where you put words on a board and then draw lines that go to more words, and it just gives you a visual picture to where you can navigate from idea to idea, and sometimes they're quite help- helpful because... We really need physical ways to illustrate spiritual truths. Sometimes spiritual truths can be so abstract that it's hard to get our minds around them. And it's one of the reasons that Jesus was so fantastic at using visual, physical illustrations to communicate these abstract spiritual truths. And a mind map is just one way that we can paint pictures and visually look at things so it can help us to transition our minds to these deep spiritual thoughts. And so I have three mind maps in this article. The title of it, Three Mind Maps on How to Change Your Thought Life. And you're welcome to share these mind maps with your friends. For those of you who disciple, counsel, pastor, small group leader, parents, children, friends, if you have a person that's struggling in their thought life, I would really appeal to you to uh, take this article and to give it to them and and walk them through it. Uh, What there is, there's a, a, a long article There's three other articles that are embedded here. There's this podcast that you're listening to that you can listen to over and over again. And those three pictures, those three mind maps that will help illustrate some of the things that I'm talking about. And so you can take all of this content. It would make a fantastic homework assignment. It would be a wonderful six-day, three-week, six-week homework assignment for somebody to really nail down this because it's hard for some people. We struggle capturing our thoughts. We we worry. We become anxious. We become double-minded where we have two heads. Some days we're God-centered and everything's moving and grooving in the right direction, and then boom, all of a sudden our thoughts are uh, they go to bad places, and we become what James talked about in James chapter 1. We become double-minded, two-headed people. Our thoughts are always with us, and they can be a nemesis. And, and so I trust that they would help you. And the way that I want to begin the podcast is I want to give you a physical illustration so that you can somewhat compartmentalize how you think and where you need to have your point of focus as you think through this podcast. And so let's say that if your life was put into three different file drawers that represented your past, your present, your future— 
And so you have a file cabinet with three drawers, and one drawer is is everything that's ever happened to you in your past, whether they're things that you have done or things that were done to you. But as you look in the rearview mirror, all of that stuff, whatever it may be, is in that file drawer. And then in the second file drawer is your present, everything that's swirling around your life right now, everything that's going on with you. It is crammed into that second file drawer. And then the third one is your future. And that is an important one. And there's a lot of people who they don't do what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34. Jesus said there's enough evil in today's in the moment that we don't need to be worrying about tomorrow. But some people, they just can't help themselves and they just go out into the future and they they bring that future into their present so they can worry about it and be fearful and be anxious about it. And so there you have, you have a file cabinet, you have three drawers, and as you focus on those three drawers, which one causes you the the most problems in your life? Which one uh, sabotages your thought life? Because here's the key idea that I want to uh, communicate. If there is a disruption of your contentment, it would indicate something has gone wrong in your thinking If there's a disruption in your contentment, it would indicate there's something wrong with your thinking. And the way that happens is a person focuses on the file drawer, whether it's the past, present, or the future, or a combination of all of those things. And the joy, the contentment, the peace, the shalom begins to drain out of their lives. And it can be derailing and debilitating. And so as you give that some thought I want you to keep this in your mind as well. The way that you began to restore contentment, to restore your joy, your peace to yourself, you have to begin, as the gospel implies, there's always bad news before there's good news. And so you have to begin by giving thought to the negative things that seek to rule your mind. And that's why I was painting that picture of the file drawers, because I want you to think about the negative things that rule your mind. If you need to write them down, write them down. Like here's the, the three, five, ten things that, that I worry about that drains the joy out of my life. Maybe it's something that you've done in your past and you just you, you have this guilt that, and this shame that you just can't shake. Write it down because you don't have contentment. It's a negative thing. And it is dominating your thoughts. It's the negative things in your life that drain your joy, your rest, and your contentment. The thing that you think about, whatever it may be, is the thing that controls your mind. So if if file drawer number one, your past, something that you did in your past, if that is the thought that you focus on, then it is going to control who you are as a being, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, 20. He said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so if that treasure is a tarnished, distorted treasure, it is a regret. It is a lost dream. It is a destroyed hope. If that is your treasure, there will be your heart also. And what I want you to see is the circularity of your thoughts. Whatever it is that you focus on out there, whatever it is that you want that is dissatisfying to you, is not happening to you, with you. Maybe it's a marriage that's not what you want it to be. Maybe it's a wayward child. But whatever that thing is, that treasure... 
that broken treasure that you have, that negative thought that's out there, your heart will be there also, and it will control you. You see, it is impossible to not think about something. You deeply embed your thoughts into your waking hours, and they never stop running through your mind. Always, thoughts are running through our minds. But even more than that, your thoughts have so much power over you that they form random, willy-nilly thought collages, even while you are asleep. We call this dreaming you wake up in the morning and you tell somebody, you're not going to believe this dream that I had. And all of these thoughts, like a spaghetti, uh, random willy-nilly thought collages come together and you have this weird dream and we laugh about it. But what is it? What's going on here? It's our thoughts. You, you never stop thinking. Part of that, or the reason for that, is because God made you in His image. God is a thinking God, a pondering God, a reflecting God. We're made in His image. We have the capacity to think, to ponder, to reflect. We have the capacity to have thoughts. And that is a fantastic thing. It's really a beautiful thing if you're stuck in Genesis 1 and 2, but we're not stuck in Genesis 1 and 2. The page turned and humanity fell in 3.6. And because of what happened in Genesis 3, we have the capacity now to think poorly even to the detriment of our souls, and that is the problem. And then we become captured by our thoughts. There is a circularity that I was talking about between your thoughts and your point of focus, that file drawer that you're thinking about. It could be your present, the second file drawer. It could be your marriage. It could be some dream that you don't have, But there's a circularity between your thoughts and your point of focus. And so you look at that thing, and that thing captures your thoughts. Your thoughts make up what has captured your focus, and what you focus on captures your thoughts. Do you hear the circularity? There could be a chicken and egg discussion here as far as what came first, the thought or the treasure though it does not really matter what happened first. What matters is that you must address both your thought life and that thing out there that you value. And if your thought life is negative, that thing out there is negative, you need to change that treasure, that hope, that dream, that desire. The blessing of the circularity of thought to treasure is that if your treasure is right, your thoughts will be right. If you are pursuing the right things, your thoughts will be significant assets to you. Of course, the bane of this circularity is when your treasure is not the right thing. And if so, over time, your thoughts will have drifted so far from being in line with the gospel that it will take an act of God in the community of faith to recover to a sound way of biblical thinking, and it happens easily. I see this all the time in marriages, poor marriages, and a spouse wants a better marriage, and they don't realize, and they over-fixate, and then they, they become critical or cynical or frustrated or angry or bitter or disenchanted or whatever it is, and like a cancer, uh, that treasure is tarnished. And when that treasure becomes tarnished, it begins to dominate their thinking. That's the circularity. If a joyful person does not characterize you, 
Or if you're not living in regular, uninterrupted contentment, you must reassess your thought-to-treasure construct. You must think about these things. Now, this perspective that I'm communicating here is what makes Paul's appeal to think on the right things the right thing to do. And when I talk about Paul's perspective, I'm talking about Philippians 4, verse 8 specifically. Paul said, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, you know the, you know the verse. Paul said, think on those things. And so the things that I'm talking about, it, it makes his appeal to think on the right things the right thing to do. And you see in his statement the circularity of thought to treasure. Paul was fixated on something out there, and that thing that he was fixated on, it was, it was true, it was honorable, it was just, it was pure, it was lovely, it was commendable. And, and because he was fixated on that, it, it controlled his thought life. What you think about is what you want, and what you want represents your thought life. The question for you to ponder is, do you want the right things? I know this can be tricky for some because somebody will say, well, yeah, I I want a good marriage. I want a good marriage. I want a child that's not walking away from the Lord. I want enough money to pay our bills. And those are good things, but those aren't the right things. They're not the best things for this discussion. And so the question for you to ponder is, do you want the right things? Are the things you want true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable? Those six words make up a rich person's treasure. If you want these things, you have the right treasure. You value the right stuff. But if your treasure is less biblical, your thoughts will be less biblical. And the contentment that you desire will drain from your soul. Now, Paul was not always like this. He was not always content. He didn't always have peace. He had to restructure his mind. He had to retrain himself. He had to refocus on, he had to focus away from the temporal things. Let's say like a good marriage is temporal, having enough money to pay bills is, is earthly. Jesus talked about this in uh, Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. But we tend to focus on these temporal, earthly things, and because they are so variable and because they uh, vacillate so much, then it can cause our thought life to vacillate as well. So we have to think upon something that is unchangeable, better things. And that's what Paul, those are the true, true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable things. But Paul was not always that way. Paul was not always able to control his thoughts. To think well is a learned behavior. And you must understand that. We're fallen people. We come out of our mother's womb speaking lies. We're totally depraved. We're Adamic people. And so you just don't do this naturally. To think well is a learned behavior, which is what Paul was teaching in Philippians. In fact, he said that. He had to learn how to experience joy-filled contentment in his thought life. The text I'm referring to comes right after verse number 8 in chapter 4. It's verses 11 and 12. 
Listen to what Paul said. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, not that I'm saying that I need a good marriage, that I need all of my children to love God, that I need all the money to pay my bills, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned. Here it is. Having a right thought life is a learned behavior. Paul said, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then he says, I know how to be brought low, meaning I'm not getting everything that I want. And I know how to abound. I'm doing quite well, thank you. He continues to say, in any and every circumstance, I have learned He says it twice in this passage. Having a right thought life is a learned behavior. Paul says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. There's no way around the fact that to retrain your thought life will take work over a long period. To reset The general direction of your thinking is not a five-step program, and I know that's what we want. We have a lot of people that come to our ministry, they do, and they, they come to our ministry and they say, here's my question, here's what I want, and it's almost like they're asking for a five-step program. By the way, our mastermind students do a similar thing. They come into our program, and then the first thing they do is they start grumbling, when will I ever get this? And oh my, this thing is such a uh, such a bright mirror on my soul, and I have so many problems, and I'm just not going to get there. But that's how we think. There's no way around the fact that to retrain your thought life will take work over a long period. To reset the general direction of your thinking is not a five-step program, but a complete change of worldview. The Christian life is not so much about a roadmap, give me five steps, tell me the things that I need to do, but it is a compass It's not about steps that you can map out to be a content-filled Christian. The Christian life is the predetermined setting of your compass on the gospel. Once you become gospel-centered, once you set the compass on the gospel, and then you begin moving out and training yourself to have a joyful contentment in this new direction of living So what would be a good way of describing how to set the compass? What should be the epicenter of your life? The the truest thing inside, the truest, the most truest, the honorable, the most just, most pure, most lovely, most commendable thing that you can do. Jesus told us the answer to that, the two greatest commandments. So a, a way of saying what your compass should be set on or To be gospel-centered, you could say it like this, to love God and love others more than anything else. No other kind of life on earth transcends a person's tenacious desire to love God and others most of all. All other attempts to fill the void in our souls will fail Think about anybody that you want to think about, not critically, not negatively, not sinfully, But think about anybody you want to think about, including yourself. The fullest Christians are those 
who have a tenacious desire to love God and love others most of all, Paul had learned how to have it all and to have nothing. He had trained himself inward thinking, self-focused thoughts, lead to a depreciation of happiness. Life is found in God and not in ourselves. The person who is fixated on God, that's the compass, while doing the things that God does, serving others would be a great way of saying it, will flourish in this life and enjoy great reward in the life to come. Learning contentment comes from intentionally and joyfully focusing your thoughts on being grateful for the people that God has brought into your life while caring about their needs above your own That is the heart of what Paul taught in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but also the interest of others. One of the most life-giving and self-filling questions you could ever ask another person is, how may I help you? How may I serve you? When this kind of thinking becomes your treasure... When that's what you want more than anything else, guess what? Your thoughts will gradually move from discontentedness to contentedness. What I'm talking about here is a gospel vision that is given by the Lord. If discontentment is the issue, there's not much you can do until you see the need and there is motivation to do what is necessary to change while pleading with the Lord to bring change to your thought life. Do you want joy? Would you like to find personal and lasting contentment? Are you desperate enough to get there? A contented life will come after you decide you will not be satisfied with any other kind of life. It reminds me of Rachel's desperate plea for children. It's in Genesis 30, verse number 1. I love this verse of Scripture. It's a short sentence. Here it is. She said to Jacob, Give me children, or I shall die. I'm not altogether sure of her motives, but I am sure of her desperation. Learning contentment is born out of a desperate and intentional heart. Your peace will come in proportion to your dissatisfaction about the selfishness in your life. Intention guides your attention. Jesus said it another way, where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Your intention will guide your attention. The question becomes, is your primary goal to pursue God and others for the joy-filled expectation of finding your fullest contentment through Him while serving others? This transition will take a mental fight every day of your life. You must learn this, Paul said. I have learned He was being tutored by God. He was educated in this. Each day you will have to take your thoughts captive because your thought life will be relentless in derailing your mind with the hope of keeping you off your Christ-centered trajectories. Which will it be? Because you can only have one. As Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters He said the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. This is Matthew 6. 
If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't serve two masters. What are you seeking? What you pursue is what you see, and what you see is what you are chasing. What do you see? When you look out there, what is it that you want? As one lady said one time, I will only be happy if my husband is treating me well. She'll probably never be happy. Or if she's happy at all, she'll be double-minded. Some days she'll be happy, some days she won't. She will not because she's, she's set her affections on the wrong thing. If you make your aim to seek and to know Christ, over time you will begin to see Christ in everything that happens to you, and you will receive from Christ the strength to be content in every circumstance. Paul saw Christ as his chief goal and joy in life. That was his learned behavior, to focus on Christ when he looked out there. Through this intentional focus, he received the strength he needed to be content regardless of the circumstances that he found himself. The title of this podcast is Three Mind Maps on How to Change Your Thought Life. You're welcome to look at these three mind maps. I'm going to wrap this thing up, but I want to have a brief call to action. If your life was put in three file drawers that represented your past, present, and future, which of the file drawers drains the most joy out of your life? Your first call to action is to determine if discontentment generally characterizes you or if you are a dissatisfied person. Perhaps you're not a dissatisfied person and you are characterized by joy and contentment. But you do want to determine this. And if discontentment generally characterizes you, then would you... Maybe you can think about it this way. Would you consider yourself a God-sustained, joy-filled person? Can you assess yourself? Remember Paul's comprehensive qualifier? He says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. What I'm asking, I'm asking a global question, a comprehensive question, not a micro question where you can pick a slice of your life so you can answer in the affirmative. As you think about your children, you say, yes, I am content. That's a micro question where you're focusing on a slice of your life. I'm asking a comprehensive question because that is what Paul was saying in whatever situation I am in, whether I am hungry or I am full, whether I'm in need or I abound, I have learned. God's contentment should be like breathing. No matter where you go or who you are with, you are content. That is my question. Have you learned that regardless of the circumstance of the, or the context, you are the happy recipient of God's ongoing contentment? If this is not the normal condition of your soul, which file drawer would you say disrupts your contentment? Is it your unresolved past, your unsettling present, or your uncertain future? After you narrow down the file drawer question, you, begin, you can begin to examine what it is you want that you're not getting. If your soul is in turmoil, your greatest treasure is not Christ, but something else. Something you are not able to control or something you are not able to secure. Let me give you 10 examples of things that we are tempted to want more than Christ. All of these statements begin with, I 
am not content because, number one, my marriage is not what I want it to be. Number two, my life was has not turned out the way I, I had hoped. Number three, I do not have all the things that I desire. Number four, I'm not living like my friends. Number five, my children are not the way I want them to be. Number six, I struggle with fear, comparison, self-pity, jealousy, or anger. Number seven, I'm not married. Number eight, I am married, but to the wrong person. Number nine, the Lord will not give me what I want. Number 10, I want, I want, I want, I want, but I cannot have. Any of these things can supplant Christ as your greatest treasure. If you have not learned comprehensive contentment that spans every facet of your life, there is another treasure competing for your heart. If that treasure is true then you need to do seven things. Number one, you need to pray. Pray through this article, asking the Lord to identify what is wrong. Number two, reflect on what the Spirit of God reveals to your mind. Number three, write those reflections down so you can own them, make them yours. Number four, commit your life to change what the Lord has identified. Number five, share these reflections with a few friends. Number six, walk out what you are learning. Make sure your friends walk with you. Number seven, review these things ad infinitum until you have a new and learned behavior. The podcast, the article, three mind maps on how to change your thought life. If you want to talk, come to our website and let's do just that. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.